Good morning, everyone. Good morning, church family. Um, today is the last installment of our series on racial justice, which reminds me of a story. <clears throat> a, a friend of mine shared with me how happy he was that his 12-year-old daughter wanted to join his small group Bible study. So he's really happy about that. Now, his daughter is a super bright kid. And so really at an age where um, faith is kind of really growing. And so naturally, when she showed interest in joining his small group, he was really excited. So she joined them for a couple meetings. And my friend thought, hey, things are going really well. And they enjoyed some spirited conversations. But then after about three meetings, my friend's daughter just lost interest and just stopped coming. And naturally, he was disappointed, um, but he didn't want to pressure her. And so finally, he decided, okay, I'm going to ask her why she lost interest. And so one day, he, um, he said, honey, can I talk to you? How come you don't want to join our small group anymore? And, and she didn't want to say at first, but he finally got it out of her. And she said, well, she said, dad, um, the first week we talked and I was excited. And then the second week we talked more and I thought, great, but uh, <clears throat> when are we going to do it? And then the third week it was back to talking more. And so dad, I think your small group just likes to talk, but I'm not sure you do anything about it. And at first, my, my friend was kind of taken aback, and he was thinking, you know, you're only 12 years old. You don't, you don't really know what you're talking about. Adults need to talk. <clears throat> but then he thought more about it in light of the scriptures, and he realized she is right. Um, James chapter 1, verse 22 says this. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Um, it's just one line. Take a, take a really good look at that one line. Be doers of the word, not only hearers, deceiving your, yourselves. So here is James saying, listen, if you hear only, but do not do, you're deceiving yourself. So James is like, if you're all talk, but no show, Man, you're just fooling yourself. Okay, so how are we fooling ourselves? Well, it's like in the context of this series, if we talk about issues of racial justice, in a sense, it kind of makes us look good. We know we're relevant. We get it, you know. Uh, it gives the appearance of maturity. But if we do not put into action all that we've been learning, then let's be honest, there's no true transformation. Uh, transformation is more than talk. It's talk, and then it's practice. It's listening to God's word, and then it's doing God's word. Can I get an amen? Okay, I didn't hear you, but in faith, I believe that you were saying that you agree with um, that statement. Now, in the beginning of this series, we laid out a roadmap for how we were going to process racial injustice as a community together. And if you remember, it, the progression um, was going to be something like this, lament, awareness, education, repentance, and then number five was action, okay? 
So today we're closing out our series and we're closing it out as promised, focusing on action. And so for the second half of this message, we're going to hear stories from people in the church live. So I got Josh Coe and Linda Liu, and they are ready to share. I'm going to share with you a written testimony by, by Pam. And um, so that's really going to be good and definitely looking forward to that. <clears throat> and they're going to share with you um, their story of how they've been impacted by the season, reflecting on racial justice and how they are putting their faith into action. Okay, so um, and then after they share, I would like to share about our church's plan for fighting racial e uh, for racial equality for the next year. Now, before we do that, let's open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to take one more look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, if you remember, our series opened with Pastor Calvin taking us through this very passage. In fact, the entire series is named after the question that the lawyer in this passage asks. Who is my neighbor? So since we started with this parable, I thought it'd be really fitting to kind of bookend the series and close on this parable and I know that people might know this parable pretty well, but remember the transformation is not necessarily the acquisition of new knowledge, but the faithful application of the old. Okay. Personally, I find this parable to be the strongest case for racial justice in the Bible. That's my own opinion, you know, um, but we're going to walk through this scripture and ask three questions of the text, okay? I'm just going to go ahead, give these questions to you beforehand. Number one, the lawyer says, who is my neighbor? So we're going to try to answer that question. Who is my neighbor? <clears throat> number two, how should I think of my neighbor? And number three, what does it mean to love my neighbor? So number one, who's my neighbor? Number two, how should I think of my neighbor? Number three, what does it mean to love my neighbor? All right? Now, after I read the passage, I'm going to give you like one minute so that right there at home, you can turn to someone next to you and share your best answer to just number one. Okay. And so we'll have a little bit of, of discussion time, but here goes Luke chapter 10, 29, 37. But he, that is the lawyer desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, whoa, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. 
Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. And that is the word of the Lord. Okay. Now the whole series is wrapped up in this one question. Who is my neighbor? Let me hear you guys say, who is my neighbor? All right. Now what I'd like you to do is just turn to someone next to you. They are actually your neighbor right there, sheltered in place. And I want you to give the best answer you got to that question, who is my neighbor? Put it in like a a Twitter feed, okay? Aim for concise, turn to someone next to you, your best answer for who is my neighbor based on this passage, go. All right. I, I wish I could hear your answers. Actually, I would not mind at all if you went to the, the feed and just typed in your best answer to the question, who is my neighbor? That would be a great way to kind of keep your hands busy. Who is my neighbor? I'm going to give you my best answer. Okay. In three words. Actually, the, the, it's more than three words, but the, the first three words go like this. Anyone, anyone in need. Anyone in need. Now, now here's, you know, here's, here's a little bit of the, the explanation. Regardless of race or religion, anyone in need, regardless of race or religion. Let me explain a little bit. You got to keep in mind, the Jews hated, they hated the Samaritans. One pastor put it like this. For the ancient Jew, the Samaritan was an S word, okay? For the ancient Jew, um, the Samaritan was an S word. When Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three was a neighbor? Notice the lawyer couldn't say the word Samaritan. He imagined going, it was the, you know, the one who showed mercy. Now just imagine how uncomfortable it was, given all this ethnic hatred, for Jesus to suddenly go racial. I mean, Jesus says, but then along the road came a Samaritan. Oh my goodness, all this tension in the room. Jesus is that brave, okay? Jesus brought race into the parable. So who is my neighbor? Anyone in need. Anyone in need, regardless of race. Okay, second question. We're going quick. How should I regard my neighbor? How should I think of my neighbor? Now, I want you to notice something, and that is that what Jesus does is pretty subversive. Jesus, get this, Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. 
a Levite and a priest pass by. By the way, these are people that they all respected. A Levite and a priest pass by. And then this is like Jesus, right? Then this like worthless in your eyes, good for nothing in the eyes of the Jews, Samaritan comes along. And Jesus makes him the hero of the story. Jesus makes the person they hate the hero. Okay, so by making, I, I just, I just um, Jesus, wow. Okay, by making the Samaritan the hero of the story, Jesus was saying that the image of God, the imago Dei, let me hear you say the imago Dei. The imago Dei is in all people and in every race. Jesus was teaching one of the bedrock truths of the Bible, namely that every human being is created in the image of God which makes every human being someone of value and worth. Okay, last question. What does it mean? What does it mean to love your neighbor? What does it mean for me to love my neighbor? Well, one thing is clear. What the Samaritan does for this man is extravagant, right? I mean, consider this. He stops on a dangerous road to assist someone he does not know. He, he, by stopping, he's putting himself in danger. He's giving physical help. He's giving time. He, op- he enters into this open-ended monetary relationship with the innkeeper where the chance of extortion is very high. I want you to think of the Thenardiers from Les Mis anyways. So he's meeting practical, physical, material, economic needs, and he does this for a person of a different race. Um, last month, uh, Quest, one of our young adults, sent me an email. Um, since we live in the same neighborhood, he was bringing to my attention something terrible that happened in our neighborhood recently. There was an African-American man by the name of Malik Watkins um, who was unjustly detained by the police. Now, this is the story. Apparently, every day, Malik goes outside from where he lives to do a workout by the curbside. And part of the workout is dancing. And so on one particular day, Malik is on the curbside working out, and someone calls the police on him for dancing on the curb. Because, you know, like a, a black man dancing on the street is Apparently a clear threat to our way of life. Okay, I'm, I'm being sarcastic, but there you go. Um, now, the police engage him, and Malik is not happy, um, understandably, and he is not cooperative. And so, so the police wind up arresting him and handcuffing him. All the while, he's saying, no, 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 don't do this. Stop, stop. And the police detain him for hours. Now, this is happening in my neighborhood. And so Quest emails me and he's like, look at this video. And so I look at the video and it's very disturbing. And Quest says, hey, let's write the vice mayor of our city. Now I have never written a vice mayor of my city anything. Okay, I'm I, in my upbringing. I don't have a category for that. I am, I am not normally a guy who does that. Um, but, but, It happened in my neighborhood, which makes Malik my neighbor. And I do care about my neighbor. 
and I want to do as Jesus says and love my neighbor. And so I don't believe this woman should have called the cops. And I don't believe that the police should detain a man who is uncooperative because he thinks he shouldn't be questioned by the police for exercising on the curbside. And so questions like, let's write Let's write the vice mayor. And I, I've never done that before. And I realized that by doing this in the eyes of other people, it's not that big a deal. For me, it was. It was a small, definitive step forward in practically loving my neighbor. It was something I'd never done before. It was a small step forward. By the way, the vice city mayor wrote me back. Not, not just me, I mean, hundreds of people. And he said he was also appalled by what happened. And he is working, working to make appropriate changes in government and in police policy. Now I know it was just an email, guys. No one's going to give me a Nobel Peace Prize, you know. Um, but my point is, if we believe that my neighbor is anyone in need, regardless of race, then we need to make that belief actionable, even if it's just a small step forward to do something we've never done before. Now, it is funny how at the beginning of the parable, the lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Okay, in the construct, let's get a little bit nerdy. In, in the construct of that sentence, who is my neighbor? What is he looking for? He's looking for a noun. Who is my neighbor? But notice that, when Jesus, after Jesus tells the story, notice how Jesus reuses the word neighbor. He goes, which man proved to be a neighbor? Which man proved? To... So you see what he did there? Jesus took the word neighbor and he made it into a verb. Who's your neighbor? The one who proved to be one through action. The one who was busy neighboring. Then he reinforces this, a bit of a mic drop at, 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 at the last part of the teaching where Jesus turns to the lawyer and he says, go, you go and do likewise. So just imagine Jesus turning to us, um, to our church family, to our church friends and say, now you go and do likewise. Go and put it to action. Um, and so for the rest of the message, we just want to talk action. We want to share stories of how people have been impacted by the season of reflecting on racial justice. And we want to hear stories of how people have been making neighbor a verb. All right. So um, I would first like to share the story of uh Pam Tong. Pam is one of our churches. Um, she is our church's prayer director. And I want to share with you a story that she wrote for me <clears throat> of how she has been putting her faith into action in this past season of time. Now, I really, really like her story because it is something she did that she just, she's just never done something like this before. So here it goes. These are in Pam's own words. Here goes. She writes, <clears throat> after the video of George Floyd's suffocation by a white police officer on May 25th, 
After it came to light in the news and on social media, my husband, Al, I, and our daughters, Lauren and Jennifer, felt extreme outrage at this senseless murder, along with the rest of our nation and world. In my conversation with Al regarding how else we could make a difference, he learned that there was going to be an organized, peaceful protest at Civic Park. He recommended that we go. Now, no one in my family has been to a protest before. After some deliberation, Al and our younger daughter, Jennifer, and I went. We decided to go. Now, the protest began peacefully in Civic Park and was well organized by predominantly young adults, an estimated 1,500 people of all ages and ethnicities were in attendance, sitting on the lawn at the park. One speaker was a young African-American Christian man who spoke of his faith in Jesus Christ and the need for all people to come together and to love one another. He proceeded to pray for everyone present, for healing and for our country. The last speaker was a young white man who had moved to Reno, Nevada from Walnut Creek, sharing of the first time he became aware of his white privilege. He was on a walk with a group of friends, all who were black. Apparently, there was news of a robbery in the neighborhood. neighborhood. Suddenly, four police cars stopped, and several policemen jumped out of the cars with guns drawn he immediately noticed that none of the guns were pointed at him, the only white male in the group. And then later on, he found out that the robber that was arrested was actually a white male. It was both heart-wrenching and edifying to hear these firsthand accounts of police brutality and racism against my African-American neighbors. After all the speakers had finished, the group of young leaders led the crowd of 1,500 through the streets of Walnut Creek. It was exhilarating to march with the crowd, standing alongside some of our African-American neighbors, as well as my other neighbors, chanting, no justice, no peace, and no racist police, and Black Lives Matter, and say their names, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor. I felt it was important that my African-American neighbors saw that even an older Asian-American woman, her husband, and young adult daughter were willing to support them and to protest against injustice and police brutality. Although in my workplace as an optometrist, I've served a predominantly in indigent African-American population for 32 years, I felt that participating in the Walnut Creek protest was another way to join African-Americans in our common fight for racial equality. I realize I still have much to learn regarding systematic, systemic racism, black history, and effective ways to support racial equality. Okay, so that is uh, Pam's story. <laughs> I love how she's been a believer for a long time and yet she is still willing to do something she's never done before to better love her neighbors. And so I just, I love the story. Okay, next we're gonna hear from Josh Coe. 
and Len from Linda Liu, and they're going to share a bit of their story. They're going to share how they've been impacted by uh, this past season and how they are making racial justice actionable. So Josh and then Linda, so let's switch over and kick it over to Josh first. Go ahead, Josh. Um, yeah, thanks, Pastor Andrew. So just wanted to share a little bit today about what I've been learning, um, not just in this current season, but I think just through my life about racial racial justice. Um, I think, you know, we've all kind of gone through different processes of thinking about our racial identities. I know that there were definitely points in my life where um, I believe that I didn't really have to think about it, that didn't affect me personally, um, or even if it did, I, then I wasn't good enough because of you know, white people were at the top. And um, I think what I've been learning is that we aren't able to to change things to fight injustice until we're able to put a put a name to them in the same way that we can't uh, repent, that we can't uh, respond to uh, to our sin until we really name that. Um, and so, what I found really helpful is just grace. Uh, so much grace uh, in, excuse me, in my journey toward racial justice and that there have been people in my life um, that have lovingly been able to let me know when um, I'm doing something wrong or maybe I need to you know, take a little bit of a seat and to listen to others. Um, and I think that's kind of led me to a place where I hope to lead with grace in the work that I do, um, specifically where in the places that God has put me. Um, so leading dialogues and action plans toward racial equity and against anti-blackness um, in those places. So here at CLC, um, at my work, uh, working with high schoolers and giving them jobs um, and at my nonprofit. And so just wanted to share three paradigm shifts that have been helpful for me. Um, these are all shifts that I am in the still in the process of. It's not that I've suddenly moved from one to the other. Um, there's still an ongoing uh, process and way of learning for me. Um, so the first one is just moving from, from fear to courageousness. Um, I think it's partly a cultural thing being Asian, but also just part of my personality is that generally I am not super comfortable with always wanting to rock the boat. Um, and that is not what God calls us to, uh, which kind of moves me to the second one of moving from wanting to be comfortable um, to learning to be uncomfortable. Um, if you look at any story in the Bible, right, from, from Mary to Daniel to, to Joshua, um, it's always God calling people out of their comfort and the place that they are um, to something better. Um, and that's so cool that God um, is bigger and can imagine, uh, you know, worlds and, and good things that we can't even begin to think about. Um, so the last thing is just moving from this attitude of passivity or like, that's just the way things are um, to beginning to ask like, what is, what is the way of Jesus and what does that look like in our world? Um, and from where we are in the world, what are we able to do um, to make that world reflect more of God's shalom? Um, so yeah, I just really encourage you to do that. Um, I think we all are in our, you know, the places that we are for a reason and God can really use us. Um, so with that, I'm going to take the mic and pass it on over to Linda. Did that work? <laughs> um, I'll start with an encouragement. And that is that my, my, from my experience, this journey is long, the road is long, and it's really hard and tiring when you have your foundational beliefs um, shaken. But uh, I found 
lately that it really helps to step back and just remember that our God is the God of the universe across all time and space. And so uh, even if right now I'm exhausted or I feel like I should be doing more, um, you need to take a break and re replenish yourself. But my story is a bit windy and hopefully I can summarize it quickly in three minutes. But um, my story picks up in January 2019. And I remember that specifically because at that time my heart hadn't changed yet. I'd been working at Project Peace, which is all about social justice and biblical justice, but my heart wasn't quite changed. And uh, there was a speaker event at the time, which was again, not in my lane, it's more advanced. It was social justice, Native American doctrine of discovery and, and all these things. And it, it hit me because I was asked to help promote the event on my Facebook feed. And that's when I just had a really hard time. I was struggling and uh, I didn't want to. I, I'd worked at tech and eBay and PayPal and <laughs> I was a worship leader and I didn't even, you know, post prayer hand kind of posts. So this was really outside of my comfort zone at the time. And then God moved. Uh, about a month, right around the event, I don't know if you remember, a viral video emerged. You see this kid with a red MAGA hat. He was facing off with a Native American elder at the foot of uh, the Lincoln Memorial. And that moment I knew I started to change because I was like, oh God, are you making me do the homework I didn't want to do? Which was digging into some uncomfortable history about America that I love, my country, digging into, wow, how is my Christian faith possibly not perfect and awesome and how some people have taken Christian beliefs to, to do really bad things in the name of, of Christianity. So at that moment, what was a fringe activist topic became front and center for all of America. And I, I started to care. I started to do the homework. Uh, I pushed through some really uncomfortable feelings. I clicked and searched and followed my questions until I got to some answers. And it felt like awesome. And I felt different. I was like, felt like a different person. Apparently that was true because Facebook, uh, some algorithm got triggered and I got locked out of my account. So that's a success. I burst out of my social bubble. So I encourage you to do the same. I encourage you research research, remember from a, from a faith-based standpoint that this is all biblical justice. Um, a lot of the justice work in the world today is being done by non-Christians, like Christians just haven't shown up. So, um, and they call it social justice. I wanna dig deeper and reframe it for myself as biblical justice. And looking ahead, there's two areas that I'm going to dig deep and I, I welcome you to join me or, you know, push against me and disagree. One is I'm going to deepen my faith even more to discern what God's truth is so that I'm super anchored in my faith and that I know exactly what I stand for and why I'm going to act. Uh, my faith should move me into action. We've been learning from the stories of Esther and the Good Samaritan. There's, there's plenty of examples in the Bible that tell us. Uh, why we should speak out and uh, how can I simply stand by and watch what's going on? Children in cages, voter suppression, police brutality. Uh, this is not politics. This is biblical justice. And um, my next action is in the area of civic engagement. I think our November election is really important. Again, it's not politics. It is my responsibility. Uh, it's a critical to protect free and fair elections. And I think that's what defines us as a democracy. 
there's things you can do. You can talk to me later. I can share. But there's lots of things we can do just to make sure that people's voices are heard. And if we trust the process, the outcome is the outcome. And we should all support the outcome. Educate yourself and help educate others about what's going on, what's on the ballot, and what's being voted on, and who's being voted in or out of office. And stay watchful and diversify your sources of information. Uh, as I found out from the, um, the, March, the, the MAGA hat kid and the elder, that the mainstream media doesn't get it right all the time. They, they didn't. They did not know the story. And by digging through the sources that I trusted and I knew to hear from more direct sources, I, I, I found out more of the story. And so I encourage you to do that too. If you're bilingual, you speak a second language, even better because mainstream media, again, if it's in English, you're getting just part of the story. You need to device, diversify your sources. So here we are. I, I encourage you to share the Bible story, the biblical justice story with other Christians who may not even see the same things that we do or, or believe the same things we do. And I especially encourage you to share with your families um, and uh, who can you reach out to? Who can you help? Even if you're too young to vote, you definitely can still help. And um, if you don't agree with me, just I'd love to chat. I'd love to just wrestle out on some of these tough questions because that's how we grow and that's how we encourage each other and build each other up. So let's work together. This is biblical justice. The road is a long one. And after uh, Black Lives Matter or Breonna Taylor stops trending, this, this is still going to be there. So the road is long and look to God to help sustain your effort for the long haul. And that's my takeaway. Back to you, Pastor Andrew. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, Josh, for sharing. Um, hearing your personal journey, it just puts everything that we've been talking about, um, all the scriptures that we've been going into, it just puts it into practical reality. So that was really, really cool to hear from you. All right. For the last part of this message, I'd like to share with you the plan that the staff team and I, in consultation with our Compassion Social Justice team, have put together. Okay, so this is, so what is our church going to do going forward um, in terms of uh, engaging in this fight for racial equality as um, an expression of neighbor love? Okay, well, here's our church's plan. Now, um, the, you can think of the plan in, um, in the first part being like short-term, the short-term plan, the short-term goals, the short-term wins, and then the medium-term um, goals and the medium-term wins and, and so forth, okay? So let's talk about short-term first. Um, our board is setting aside $50,000 towards racial justice. And the first ministry we'd like to support is Black Campus Ministries at Cal to uh, revive an old partnership. So that looking exci uh, pretty excited about that and going forward. Um, uh, we want to, as a church, continue to process our own stuff. Okay, so number two short-term goal is that... Um, uh, we've developed a new curriculum for home groups to process ethnic identity and to explore what solidarity with African-Americans, what that looks like. So that's a home group curriculum called Act Justly. And then number three short-term goal is for our hashtag, we are, C we are CLC time. During the next season, 
We want to use that time in our Sunday service to process issues around ethnic identity and faith starting as soon as next week. Okay, so those are our short-term goals. Again, it's um, setting aside $50,000 for racial justice. It's um, walking our home groups through a new curriculum and then really leveraging our hashtag, we are CLC times. Okay, let's talk about the medium term. And by medium term, um, I'm talking about things that we can accomplish within one year, but this is more about time and relationships. Um, and so uh, medium term goal number one is uh, the staff is preparing to take anti-racist training from trainers at InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And we believe that going through this training is going to give us more tools. And then number two, medium-term goal is to build relationships and partnerships with um, leaders in the Black community um, and other groups who are already doing the work of fighting racial injustice instead of reinventing the wheel. And so how about continuing to celebrate partnerships with, again, I mentioned Black Campus Ministries, City Team, Turning Point, Harbor House, Freely in Hope, and Living Hope. So that is our plan going forward. And uh, for the last part of this message, I would like to talk um, about something that we can all do. Uh, actually, this is something that we all need to do. And I'd like to end on this note. Church family and friends, uh, let us commit to continue to go and do and go and do as a lifestyle. Uh, remember that spiritual growth is not just talk, 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 but it's talk and do, talk and do. It's not just hearing God's word, but it's doing it. It's putting into practice and making that a lifestyle. Uh, church family, we're not just asking you to do like a one-time thing for justice, like, hey, go on a protest, and then you're done for life, right? The only way to make neighbor love sustainable is by committing to always hearing God's word and always doing God's word, learning and doing, learning and doing. It's a cycle, learning and doing for a lifetime. So maybe during this series, you've only taken baby steps forward. That's okay. What matters is that for the long term, you and I are committing to a lifestyle of always learning and always applying. Jesus said after the amazing Good Samaritan parable, he said, now go and do likewise. Christian Layman Church, Friends and family, let's be a community that is committed, not just to go and do once, but a lifestyle of going and doing. Remember what Paul said in Galatians 6, 9, he said, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Please pray with me. Father, by your amazing grace, as we look to Jesus, who gave up everything for love's sake on the cross to pay for the penalty of our sins. He gave it all. From that place of just being so grateful to our Lord Jesus. 
Help us to not grow weary of doing good. And just knowing, just knowing that in due season, we will reap. So help us not to give up. Help us to have the right motivations to do the right things in your name and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.